Romans chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, Honour to whom honour is owed. We owe no one anything except to love each other. For the love, for the one who loves lo- another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us walk properly, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarrelling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And shall we pray? Father, will you guide us now? As we look into your word, will you speak to us? Maybe you want to put something on your finger on something in our lives. May we be soft and receptive of that. Maybe you want to encourage us. Maybe we be be ready for that. Lord, whatever it is you want us to do, whatever it is you want to change, whatever it, wherever it is you want us to focus, help us, Lord, to hear your voice and not harden our hearts. Amen. Future events do affect our present activities. I'll give you two examples. You booked a holiday for six months' time. This is no ordinary holiday. This is the holiday of holidays. You've been waiting for years, and it's once in a lifetime. It's six months' time doesn't mean it doesn't affect you today. Maybe there's an excitement today because 
you're going on holiday in six months' time. Maybe you're saving today because you're going on holiday in six months' time. Maybe you're dieting today because you're going on holiday in six months' time. Maybe you're getting fit today because you're going on holiday in six months' time. Future events do affect our present activity. Imagine you're an elite sports person. Over the last few weeks, and I don't know if you've noticed currently, um, there have been various World Cups going on um, for Rugby League, for Ladies Rugby Union, for football, for T20 cricket, all of these World Cups going on. I want you to imagine you're an elite sports person and there's a World Cup coming up in six months' time. Does it affect you today? Absolutely it does. You're going to train a bit harder because you want to be picked. You're going to be a bit more careful because you don't want to be injured so that you're not picked. Future events affect our present activity. And Paul wants us to grasp this in spiritual terms today as we seek to live as followers of Jesus. In the book of Romans, we've been directed backwards to what God has done at the cross of Jesus. We've actually been directed back further than that to Abraham 1,500 years before Jesus. But principally, we've been focused on the cross of Jesus, where Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And then we've also been focused on the present on what that means to us today, that if we trust in Jesus, we have been forgiven our sins and made right with God so that we belong to his people. We've been focused on the past. We've been focused on the present. And as we came into chapter 12, Paul says, in the light of what God did and in the light of what you now have, live your lives as living sacrifices. Live as thanksgiving offerings to God, giving all of yourselves to the praise and worship of his name. So we've looked back, and we've looked now, but here in this passage, in verses 11 to 14 of chapter 13, Paul wants us to look forward to another work of God, a future work of God that should add impetus and bring encouragement and motivation to us to live for Jesus. And it's that future work and its motivation that I want us to think about this morning. I think there are three things that I believe God wants us to understand from this passage this morning. The first is this. He wants us to understand the time, or understand the time in which we live. Look at verse 11 with me. Now, you'll notice on the screen, I've put the NIV up there. If you're reading from the ESV, which probably most of you are, uh, the ESV is a very good translation, but every now and again, something, it does something that puzzles me, and this is one of those cases. So you'll read in the ESV, besides this, which seems to me to indicate, do this, and then besides, here's something different for you to be thinking about. Um, The Greek doesn't do anything like that. It doesn't sort of differentiate between these two passages. 
the NIV as with the New King James and I believe the Old King James and all the other translations that I checked have and do this, so connecting to what we've been told to do, living sacrifices, renewed in the, uh, renew, transformed through the renewing of our mind, living out within the church, loving one another, not being a wrecking ball, submitting to authorities, holding on to or, or fulfilling that debt to love, do this, very much connected, understanding the present time. Understanding the hour in which you live. Understanding the, 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 the place in which you dwell in the historical timeline. And what is the time in which we live? Well, it's the time for waking up. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Why are we to wake up? Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. This is the time in which we live. We live in a time where our salvation is getting closer. Now, what does he mean by that? That's a really important question because as we go through the book of Romans, one of the things we've been told is that our salvation is already here. It's now. So Romans 8 verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now no condemnation. Jesus died on the cross. If you believe in Jesus... You have been forgiven. Your salvation is now. Romans 8.15 For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. When do we cry, Abba, Father? Now. We have the spirit of God now. And we are children of God if we're believers in Jesus now. Salvation is now. So how can it be coming nearer in the hour in which we live? Well, the reason is that salvation is also not now. It's coming. 1 John 3 verse 2 puts it this way. Beloved, we are God's children now. Salvation is now. But what we will be has not yet appeared. But there's something more. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Salvation is now. You have been forgiven. You are adopted into his family. But there's also more to come. Salvation is future. Paul puts it like this in Romans 8, verse 22 to 23. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. He speaks there of the groaning of the world, the groaning of the universe. We're very aware, aren't we, of the groaning of the world and the groaning of the universe. seems to me the whole world is aware that we are in a world that's groaning. And so many people are trying to do something about it. The Bible says that groaning will stop. But it won't stop in COP54 
when they finally reach an agreement on climate change. It won't stop when the perfect budget is announced in Parliament. It won't stop when the UN reaches the perfect peace accord and and that's, that's going to bring an end to the war. No, the groaning will continue until salvation comes. He carries on, not only the creation, but we ourselves are groaning, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It's interesting there, because earlier in Romans 8, we are adopted as sons, but we're waiting for that adoption. We... I think we're supposed to understand it this. We have the reality. We we have salvation, but we're not yet fully experiencing salvation. That's still to come. And when's it going to come? We'll go back to that verse in 1 John 3, verse 2. He tells us, but we know that when he, who's he? It's Jesus appears. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus came into this world. Remember that at Christmas time as he was born in Bethlehem as a baby and lived a perfect life. And around the age of 33, he then died on the cross for our sins. And then he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father. That's not the end of the journey. One day he's going to return and bring salvation in all of its fullness. And if we trust in him, we will step into eternity, a glorious eternity with Jesus. Salvation is now. You are forgiven. You are adopted. But salvation is coming where you will experience all the fullness of what Christ has done for you at the cross. And what Paul wants us to understand here, what God wants us to understand, is that we are in a time of waiting. We have been saved if we are Christians, but we are waiting to be saved. We are waiting for the fulfillment of that salvation. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you waiting for Jesus? Are you waiting? For Jesus. If you are, can I give you the good news? It's getting closer. You know that feeling, maybe you don't have it anymore. Uh, certainly I had it when I was a child, and then I lost it, and then I had it again when we had children, and then as they get older, you lose it a bit more. That, that sense of waiting for Christmas. First of December comes around, the Advent calendar, however you do that, comes out, and you count down the days, and as it gets closer and closer, the excitement builds, and the excitement builds, and the excitement builds. I can't tell you how many days there are left, but I can tell you this, it's one less than yesterday. Jesus is coming, and every day we live is a step nearer to the return of Jesus. Isn't that what Paul tells us here? Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Understand the time. Second thing I think God wants us to understand here, understand the impact 
or understand the impact this should make on our lives. Verse 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So we're moving, he says, from night into day. The light of God has dawned in Christ and dawned in your life as you believe, but the light is bright on the horizon as Jesus returns. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. How should we respond to this truth that Jesus is returning and that day is getting nearer? Well, our behavior should change. Isn't that what it means? Cast off the works of darkness. The Bible speaks of this world as a a place of darkness. Why? Because it's a place in rebellion against God. That the general premise of society is about me, not about God. It's about my way, not his way. It's a place of sin and darkness. And here he says, as we wait for Jesus, the effect or impact that should have on us is that we cast off those works of darkness. We cast off that sinfulness and instead we put on the armor of light. We put on light, that which is good and that which is right. I don't know how many of you have been involved in uniform organizations. I know some of you teenagers and younger ones are involved in some of the uniformed organizations. I was a cub and then a scout when I was younger. And every time we went to our meetings, I had to put on my uniform. It wasn't the cool trendy uniform that they have now. It was sort of beige trousers, green button-up shirt, and neckerchief and the badges that kind of told everyone which troop you were from. You put on your uniform. It identifies you as a scout or, 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 or a cadet or, or some other uh, organization that you're part of. Well, here we're to take off the acts and the works that identify us as belonging to the world. And we're to put on that which identifies us as belonging to Jesus. You want a description of what that looks like? The children recited it for us. Love, joy, peace, patience, and the other, the other five fruits of the Spirit. And then that being worked out in the actions of our life. Salvation is coming, we're told. Jesus is returning. If we grasp that, it should make a difference in our life. There's a change of behavior, but then if we go into verse 13, there's a change of priority. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Let let us walk in such a way that we're not ashamed for our work to be exposed in the light of God. That's a challenge, isn't it? In the darkness where we feel no one can see. That's one thing, but to live in the light knowing that Jesus sees everything, that's something else. Not in orgies and drunkenness. I I remember, I think the first time I was introduced to this term orgy was through the Asterix books. Now those of you who are parents and you've let your children read Asterix books, now you're wondering whether you've done the right thing. There was one particular book where Asterix goes to Rome. And there was a Roman family involved and uh, one of the person just loved partying and loved drinking. That was very much Roman culture. 
and would always go around every day, let's have an orgy, he would say. I'm not sure it's what I ought to have been reading when I was age eight. An orgy is a drunken party that then spills into all of the the stuff that happens when you lose self-control. And Paul's saying to these Christians in Rome, where this is the dumb thing, that's of the night. That's of darkness. Don't be involved in that. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. God has given us sex. It's a good gift from God, but it's to be enjoyed and intended to be enjoyed within the confines of a covenant relationship of marriage where there is mutual trust and love and safety. The Bible says to use it anywhere else is wrong. The 60s are called the decade of the sexual revolution and sexual freedom. Really, it's just a return to the first century Rome, which was a heavily sexualized society. And Rome weren't the first ones to do it either. And Paul's saying to these Christians in Rome, don't have anything to do with the acts of darkness. Remember, put on the armor of light. And then quarreling and jealousy, fighting. Getting at each other, arguing. These are the acts of darkness, he says. Don't have anything to do with that. Now, what is it that combines all of these things together? Maybe orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality and quarreling and jealousy, maybe some of those things. You're thinking, they apply to me, others bits don't. Maybe you're thinking, well, that's gone. I don't live in first century Rome. What's it got to do with me? What is it that ties these three couplets together? I think it's this. The focus in every single one of them, the focus in these acts of darkness is this. It's all about me. It's all about you. It's not about God. It's all about indulging my passions, indulging my desires. It's all about trying to satisfy myself. It's not about living out God's ways and his desires. And Paul's saying as we wait for Jesus, if we grasp that Jesus is coming, if that is our hope, that we're looking forward to the light on the horizon, we will no longer live for us. We'll live for him. Are you waiting for Jesus? What's your priority? What's your life about? Is his return affecting you today? It should do. Other passages in the Bible point that out. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 6. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Let's wait for Jesus. 1 Peter 4 verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Let's wait for Jesus. Let's let this affect our lives. Do we need to be reminded today that the here and now is not all there is? 
How absorbed are we with life today? How absorbed are we with our houses? With our perfect family ideals? How absorbed are we with entertainment? I guess that's a big question at the moment with the World Cup being on and lots and lots of football matches. If you like football, there's always a football match to watch. There's nothing wrong with watching football. But can you turn it off? Can you not watch the game? What would happen if you dis- something came up and you weren't able to watch England versus Wales this week? Would that be fine? Or would it be a big deal? How absorbed are we with life today? How absorbed are we with the distractions of life today? How absorbed are we with our sort of image on social media today? Do we need to be reminded that Christ returning is so much more important? Are we waiting for Jesus? Or are we happy today? We need to understand the impact that Christ's return should make. And then thirdly, we need to understand the command. Understand the command. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Something happens here as we go to this verse. Up until this point, Paul has kind of been someone coming alongside the church, putting his arm around them, saying, let us, let us do this, let us do this, let us do this. Now, you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You make no provision for the flesh. This is command for us. This is what Jesus says to us. In this time in which we live, if we want to live as followers of Jesus, we must put on Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. What does that mean? I think it means we must embrace Jesus and everything that is found in Jesus. There's a link here with verse 12, put on the armor of light, which very much is working along the lines of the acts of light as opposed to the acts of darkness. There's a link to 1 Thessalonians 5 and Ephesians 6, put on the armor of God. But here Paul goes a step further. Put on Christ himself. Embrace everything about him. Embrace his example as your example in life. How should we live? Live like Jesus. Embrace his blessings and stand in them and enjoy them. You've been forgiven through Jesus. Put a smile on your face. You are adopted into the family of God. Have joy in your heart. Embrace the blessings of Jesus. Stand in the power of Jesus. Stand under the protection of Jesus. Be filled with the life of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Clothe yourself with Christ. In Galatians 3 verses 26 to 27, Paul says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ... Now, the baptism here is the baptism of the Spirit that takes place when you become a Christian and you are immersed into Jesus. That's the picture. It's a a, a baptism that is then pictured 
When we baptize someone, we've got the baptismal pool here, and we put them under the water and bring them up. It pictures, but it's not the moment that someone is baptized into Jesus. It's a symbol of it. This is about conversion. When you were converted, you were immersed into Jesus. And you have put on Christ. Same term that he uses in Romans 13. When I got married, I stood at the front of a church building and I made my promises to Anita and she made her promises to me. I didn't marry a small part of Anita. I married her. As we've gone through our married life, it's been about knowing her as a whole and enjoying that. When we become Christians, we don't just, mar- uh, don't just get united to a small part of Jesus. Oh, it's this blessing, but all of that's kind of held away from you. No, no, we get the whole of Jesus. And so Paul's encouragement here is you wait for him, embrace him. Know him, grow in him, stand in him, be clothed with him. Make your life about him. So that's the first part of the command. The second part of the command, give no space for sin. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word translated here for provision sort of means foresight. And I've got this kind of impression. Make, make no kind of plan for sin. Don't, don't even let sin enter your plans as you think about your life coming forward. Sin's going to come because we've got sinful hearts. But, but, but don't let it kind of take a root in your mind. I was thinking about our house. If you come to our house, we have a porch. You go through one door into the porch and then another door which is into the house. And I'm never quite sure which one is our front door. Is it the one into the porch or is it the one into the house? The porch isn't heated, so I guess it's outside. Yeah, let's say it's outside. But it's still part of the house, isn't it? I I wonder if some of us in our minds get round this command to make no provision for the flesh by, by kind of saying, well, it's, it's not really inside me. But, but it's, I'll let it into the porch and then I can kind of enjoy it a little bit. But it's not really doing me any harm. So maybe we don't look at porn, but we skirt so near to it. Maybe we don't hit anyone, but we enjoy that feeling of dwelling on the anger in the quiet place at home. Maybe we don't join in with gossip in the group, but on our computer screens we have no issue trawling the internet and reading the gossip of others. Whether they're Christian leaders who have done or supposed to have done something or something else. Give no space for sin. No place. Don't even let it on your driveway. Don't even let it on the footpath outside. No provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Are you waiting for Jesus? Are you waiting for Jesus in the way Jesus wants you to wait for him?
Are we taking hold of Christ? That he is everything to us. Or are we letting other things hold us back? What does God want us to understand? I think he wants us to understand the time in which we live. I think he wants us to understand the impact that should make and this command as we wait for Jesus to wait in the way he wants us to. Let me ask a different question just as we come to a close. Does this sound weird to you? This idea of something in the future, of Jesus returning. And where we live so much in the here and now with the immediacy of whatever we want, with the physical and the material, and this is essentially spiritual and future. And even if you've grown up in a church environment and you've heard about the return of Jesus, and even if we were to put out a questionnaire and you were to say, yes, I believe Jesus is returning again, but does it sound weird to let that affect today? Have you ever been taught the the saying, so heavenly-minded, no earthly good? Oh, I'm going to leave that because I want to make sure I'm good today. Can I say that that saying is completely wrong? Because the people I know who are heavenly-minded are the most earthly good. Can I remind us that God wants us to live within a bigger picture than the here and now. He wants us to enjoy the reality that we live in a world he made And although we sinned and rebelled against him, and that's a dangerous situation to be, and with the return of Jesus, he doesn't just bring salvation, he brings judgment. So we need to be aware of that. But although we sin, God sent Jesus to die for that sin and invites each and every one of us to know him through Christ by putting our trust in Jesus. But then one day, Jesus will return. And if you believe in him, you will enter in to an amazing eternity. A place without death. A place without grief. A place without pain. A place without suffering. A place without sin where we will joyfully enjoy God forever. Are you waiting for Jesus? Let's pray. Father, help us to see what's coming, to be excited by what's coming, as well as that sense of knowing what it will mean for those who don't trust in Jesus. Help us to wait as those who are putting off the acts of darkness and putting on the armor of light, as those who stand in Christ and take hold of and embrace everything in him and give no place for the sin that grieves you so much and put Jesus on the cross. Help us, we pray. Amen.